straight up the price of admission growth stories life lessons turning points service to others truth no bullshit adding value no smoke and mirrors being the pressure third down and ten fighting below the surface win or learn always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder these are the things that i think about when i talk to this group they're still kindling that fire taken to the fleet and beyond living the values today through faith with the family and at the job obsessed with ownership and accountability winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity pedal to the metal paying the price of admission let's go um well dude matthew neshek uh finally got him on man you you know you've been mentioned on this podcast every single episode so far right well, yeah, I'm I'm a little terrified really. It feels like a game day right now. I'm yeah. like I'm like sophomore year, unprepared, about to take the field where my throat's in my chest. Or when we're like two thousand eleven, came yeah. down to the last play, we're watching Air Force. We were we were graduated. Cameron's texting me, he's like, dude, my throat is in my chest and my heart is in my throat. And I felt the exact same way, and then we lost. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make you feel uncomfortable right now. Yeah, so, I mean, so far, so, so good. Yeah, so if anybody has seen me at my top, if anybody has seen me at my bottom, it's you. So it can go any way you want it to. So let's let's do this. Well, here we go. I'm going to give you an intro. Um, and for the podcast, here's Matthew Neshack, uh, a fellow Napster. Um showed up in Rhode Island from Southern California, so so quite the scenery change. Uh, used to drive a Buick LeSabre, right? That is correct. That's funny you know that, but yeah. <laughs> I drove the couch on wheels, man. Couch on wheels. Powder uh, blue. And for, good. <laughs> for those that don't know, Matt was uh, the best man in my wedding. Uh, so this one's going to be really fun. Um so from beach cruiser to structure, um, went to Naps, California guy. You know, I'm a Texas guy. So um, that was the Texas versus USC year in the national championship. Um, so it was like the first time I was able to like, you know, kind of stick, stick my fingers in his ribs a little bit and say, <laughs> uh, um, you know, that's, that's what I do good. You know, like as I grow older, I understand and I reflect and I look at myself and what I do really well is, is I, as I poke, I poke <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I poke the wounds. So, uh, and it got your teeth grinding a little bit. That yeah. Night. So I, the, the recent deaths of both Keith Jackson and Vince Skull, part of childhood died. And that day, a part of me, because the rivalry was so big between, I was like the, but I was the big trash talker between all the Texas guys, like everybody at Naps, and then the best playing college football. It took me like five years to go back and watch that. Oh, Keith Jackson on the call, and then just that insanity happened. Tony looked at me, <laughs> and he, you didn't say anything. I mean, I was upset, and yeah, it was young man emotional there, but that was that was something. That was one of the first times I was like, man, why am I so upset right now? Like, this is ridiculous. But, yeah, with Keith Jackson, a call that had to be one of the best college football moments, even on the opposite side. 
and I said it took me five years to relook at that. So yeah. you poked me in the ribs pretty good. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got you in the ribs with that uh, Texas USC, um, you know, national championship loss. Um, it's it's one of those like I remember after that that game was over. Uh, we were in Newport, uh, <clears throat> Rhode Island, in the basement of uh, maybe was it called Nimitz or uh, whatever yeah. hall we were living in, and you just you're on a stampede towards your room, probably just to go sleep, let it go. Um, and and for me, it was like okay, one of those let it go moments. No more sticking it in the ribs, right? Um, well, I called my dad after that, <laughs> and. It was like I was talking to one of you guys. He picked up, and it was just silence, and we are both silent. And he's like, man, fuck, man. <laughs> fuck. And then we just hung up on each other. So that was the emotions. It's That's funny. all you could say after that if you were pulling for him, you know? It, it's funny you say that because I remember you telling me about that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like I called – if it was like Texas loss and you were talking – I don't know. Your dad probably would have done the same thing, but you were talking to like Eddington or something, you know, right. <laughs> you just, same emotion. That would have been it. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Good so time there. Naps. Um, you know, thinking, uh, and this is part of my intro is to you. And, um, you know, we did a summer trip between naps going to, um, you know, Annapolis. Uh, we had a nice little trip down to uh, Del Rio, Texas. Uh, luckily we were able to pull you down there, get you some Texas time. Um, what do you remember about that trip? Oh man, that was good. Um, your house. So I didn't, that was like, I think that was my first time to Texas and I left with a very big appreciation, man. It was, it was everything you guys say it is to be, um, that big hunting trip we went on. That was good stuff. I remember we went into Mexico dollar coronas remember that yep there wasn't a there wasn't a bad part about that trip i remember i was real sick for whatever reason the whole time but that didn't stop us from having an like an outstanding time with your high school buddies it was just good just good times yeah no it was a good transition trip for me too i remember um you know there's we didn't like shoot deer we're just kind of like you know it was the summer right they're just out there. We want to shoot some guns. Um, you know, my dad was like, loved the, that ranch. And he had his buddies. Um, and you shot one of his buddies. You know that, right? <laughs> it was a raccoon. Well, me- <laughs> <laughs> well, I was promised I was promised blood. And a young man wants to shoot a deer, right? Like You're like, dude, there's so many deer down there. We're going. You guarantee you're going to get something. And by like the last night. It's like midnight, hadn't got anything, and there's this raccoon, man. and Spotlight. D- yeah, dumb, dumb me, young me. He didn't deserve it, but I guess it was his time, and <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> that's what happened, man. That's it's what it was. Uh-oh. I also remember your dad, it was like 5 in the morning. He'd turn up his amp, I was sleeping on the couch, and he'd just blast me. Yep. Just he was killer at guitar, and that's how he woke up. First me, because I was right there, and then the whole house, and I think I'm going to do that when I get older. That's the way to do it right there. Yeah. My kids uh, know know me as well. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I mean, you know, I I make those uh, 
music mixes. Normally it's like what's on my mind. Sometimes it sounds cool. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he beat that into me when I was a kid, not literally, but you know, music was his thing. Um, I enjoyed it and it's what I enjoy doing today. Um, and then we go, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we go down to the Florida Keys, you know, spearfishing's a thing for you. Um, you, you know, graciously, you know, asked me to come down there to the, the Keys with you and your mom, Linda and, and Terry, we, we do some, some spearfishing. That was freaking awesome. That was a great yeah. spring, spring break trip. Um, I vividly remember, you know, we're, we're out, we're catching some lobster, you know, by hand, not with spears or anything. Um, <laughs> we had some really good lobster dinners. Um, but then we're, we're, uh, swimming through this, these, uh, like, you know, where, where people, I guess the moats or the, the channels where people are parking their boats next to their house and whatever. And we're looking for the big one. We're looking for that big fish, the big dinner. Uh, and, and we're, we're both swimming and, and then we both kind of hit it at the same time. I hear a thunk and then the second thunk and we both hit the same fish. It's like the slowest moving, smallest fish. <laughs> I don't even know what the fish was called. No. And then we surface yeah. and kind of laugh at each other like, all right, we're, we're, we're super killers now. So yeah, it was, it was like, it was like dark. It was kind of creepy. And we're just going down that thing, and we both hit this fish, and it was like, oh, we might as well hit, like, flipper, man. There's nothing. Yeah, Bambi, <laughs> same thing. We come up like, yeah, we're real warriors now, huh? I was like, go. we thought kind of come up with a grouper, and we come up with Sebastian oh, from Little Mermaid or something. I would, love, it was. I would love to catch a grouper. Yeah, we were looking, but... Well, I guess our two hunting trips, that's what they amounted to. A, rac a raccoon and Sebastian. <laughs> Sebastian. Yeah. There we go. Yep. Dude, I, uh, so before this, um, you know, I knew I was going to get on with you. I was trying to like, like rekindle the memories. I got online. I was looking at, um, you know, I, look, I Googled Matthew Neshack. Uh, I found this article, um, you know, back from October 19th. 2009 it's probably the month that uh, Matthew Neshek was on the uh, Navy football flyer for a game or something like that but there's this huge article uh, and I'd like to work that article into this conversation I'm gonna start it off with the title the title is Navy's Neshek is not your stereotypical Californian uh, and Ken Niamatsalolo starts it off uh, I didn't know what to expect the first time he reached out um, to the tall, wrangly kid he'd seen on videotape playing for Malibu High School. Uh, Army Stan Block was already trying to lure Nishak to West Point. Uh, it was an interesting situation, says Niamatololo, now Navy's head coach, recently call, recalled his first face-to-face -face encounter with Nishak. I was expecting a preppy kid because he went to Malibu High School. Uh, Nehemiah continued, but I didn't know that he lived in the San Fernando Valley. Matt was a good, hard-nosed, polite young man, says Nehemiah. His memory of that first meeting 
as fresh in his mind as the Mexican dinner he shared with the Nishak family. His dad was a Marine, his grandfather was living with the family. Uh, he was just a good, humble kid. Nishak wasn't simply making an impression on someone else, he was forming one of his own. Um, that, I mean, that's the intro to that whole article. We'll keep going here in a little bit, but um, I'm kind of experimenting on this one, Matt. Yeah, um, I'm good. Go ahead and uh, tell us your story. I would want to intertwine the rest of this email or this email, this uh, this uh, yeah, this thing as you speak. So tell us your story and intertwine your price of admission. Well, Thoughts. man, so price of admission will come at the end when I get to Navy, but yeah, that, that was one thing. There's correction. I know Neomot said that my dad wasn't a Marine. Uh, he didn't, he didn't serve. He just looked like one. My grandfather was world war two vet. He was, a uh, he's an army air corps on B 17s. But so, it was weird for me uh, when I went to Navy listing, everybody listed like hometown and high school. And for you, it was like Liberty Hill. So hometown, high school is Liberty Hill High School. So for me, my parents were split up from when I was a pretty young age. And my dad lived in the San Fernando Valley. And my mom lived in Big Bear, California. And pretty polar opposite, even though they're about three, two and a half hours apart. So I grew up splitting time between there. But I went to school from kindergarten through the beginning of ninth grade in Big Bear. So that was like my hometown. But I'd split time and go visit my dad in the San Fernando Valley. High school happens. Um, interesting note, I don't know, not many people know this, like ninth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. My mom got bladder cancer. She ended up beating it. She was like the rarest case, one of the rarest cases in the nation. Awesome. Um, so it was, yeah, very good story, comeback story. Uh, she's She wasn't, basically she wasn't a male. She wasn't a smoker. She wasn't the right age, demo, any of the right demographics. Dude, she got it. Your mom is on top of stuff. Like from what I know about her, she's at the gym. She's looking good. Like she supports Matt. She cooks. Like yeah, she's on she, top I mean, of it, dude. Yeah, she's super mom, man. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she beat it, like. Can't, you got to give her all the credit in the world, and she took care of us too. So, but around that time, like it was weird. I, I kind of processing it that at that time, like the thought I was gonna lose her at that moment that was real, but it was really hard for me to process. And she she beat it. But I at around that time, nothing to do with any of that relationship. I just saw greener grass, more opportunities for me because I wasn't going on the right route in my hometown. Like I would have if I had stayed in my hometown i don't think i would have played football i would just partied all high school so i didn't want that i didn't want that lure so i, I moved down with my dad into canoga park and I actually went to cleveland high in the valley for a little bit and then my mom moved down her family's in santa monica california so she moved down there with them when my brother had graduated from big bear high i wasn't going to big bear high school so she moved down to santa monica and that made me eligible to go to Malibu High School because it was in the same district. How'd she so, feel about I, you driving that Buchla Saber in Malibu? Oh, man. I mean, that, that was a big concern for them because I did it sometimes from Santa Monica up the Pacific Coast Highway and then sometimes from the San Fernando Valley and from my dad's house 
through Malibu or Canaan. If you know, we drove that that one time. I mean, so I'm a young idiot driving a Buick with Saber. <laughs> was it more about like school. concern about gas money or can, concern about like you're going? Oh, to Malibu just my driving? stupidity, dude. It's me, like as a kid, <laughs> like um, I don't know how to describe how worried you'd be about me unless you're like my parents. But <laughs> I know I was a I was a pretty good kid. Like I worked hard in the right areas, but yeah, there's, I don't know. I think, I think it was Nick Henderson that walked up to my now wife during, I think it was Darius's wedding. He's like, see, we were dating. He's like, Neshek, why are you with, he's crazy. Like, why are you with Neshek? <laughs> and I, I guess that's all I can say. Like, I don't know, man, there's this, Hey, it's part of, word. Uh, yeah, it's a part of growing up. Right? Part of your journey, right? Yeah, that's part of my journey. So on to the next one. Yeah. So then, so like ninth grade, I was at Cleveland High for, and then tenth grade, like a little bit of it, and I transferred to Malibu High and ended up uh, graduating from there. <clears throat> then Neomot came into the equation. So my plan out of high school was, I really loved playing football, and that's kind of. I love, grew up playing sports and loving sports. That was something I just loved doing, but I never felt like I fit in with anyone until I was in a football locker room. Yeah. And for whatever reason, my brother tells me this, my dad was telling me this, like all my whole family, they're all baseball players. And they're like, dude, just for whatever reason, you just fit playing football. Like that was your thing. So yeah. lucky enough, um, me and Mike came into the equation, but my plan out of high school was, okay, I'm going to join the Marine Corps unless I get a D1 football scholarship offer because I can't turn that down. Like, that sounds really cool to me. So, lo and behold, Coach Nia Matalolo comes. I get the offer. I got the offer from Army, too. Um, that was enticing to me at the time. And Navy was my best uh, everything offer. Football, academics, everything. I struggled to where to go and I sat down with my grandpa one night he was at the time my best friend and just so he just explained to me asked me the right questions like what do you want to do when you yeah I know you're, and, I know you you're know. close to your your grandfather yeah um so go ahead I was gonna say like <laughs> and I think you were going there so what was his uh his words of wisdom to you that day it was pretty simple like he just completely erased like the school, the people say, like, what do you want to do when you graduate? Fit. Yeah. He's like, where, where do you want What do you want to be? And I was like, Oh, well, I want to go to the Marine Corps. And he just said, go to Navy. That's it. And it, and it made so much, it's just an aha moment. You don't have a child. Some people do, but luckily he gave me that guidance. How did he differentiate army versus Navy on that? Like, you know, you said like, I want to go to the Marine Corps. And, uh, and he's like, oh, well, like Army does this, Navy, Marine Corps does this. Like, was there like something that stuck out in your mind that made you want to, obviously you said Marine Corps, but is there like a trait or like a, a value that really sucked you into the Navy side? No. Um, no. I mean, it was when I talked to Paul Johnson during the recruiting trip. I was talking about playing time and he, he had a good quote to me. He 
He's like, well, he's like, what do you, so what are the, the pros and cons? What do you think? Like, I said, well, he said, what about army? Cause he knew I was thinking about army. I was like, well, I think I have a better chance to contribute faster. And through his spiel back to me of like what position I fit in and where I'd go, where I could contribute at the end of it, he said, you can't run from the competition and only make you stronger. And that, that hit me too. And I was like, man, that between that and then my grandpa telling me what he did, it was like, well, I mean, you can't run from the competition. You do what you want to, when you get out, let's go do this. Like the, from, from then on, it was go Navy beat army. You know? Sure. Well, yeah. Keep going. Exactly. So, okay. So where we leave off, I'm going to naps at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to naps, uh, Texas beats USC, meet all the brothers. <laughs> um, like I said, I was trying to go into the Marine Corps. Um, my, just the four years there and playing football, it was it was great, but um, I struggled to be eligible every single minute while I was there. Yeah, uh, I remember that. My dad, my dad in high school, before all the like Neomot came around, he's like, Dude, like you should just, you need to start looking into a trade school. Like this yeah. is my tenth grade year, like. Just let's be realistic, like, and then all that stuff just kind of happened. Worked worked hard, and it and it worked out. Um, so then going service selection, I did select Marine Corps. Hold on, um, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pull you okay. back a little bit because uh, we gotta capture this Naps story inside this article. Um, so from that that article I started out with, um, first he'd have to commit a year to the prep school. In Newport, Rhode Island, where Neshek met Tony Haber, rooted in vastly different places, one from SoCal, the other from Texas. They nonetheless became best friends. In retrospect, it's no wonder they hit it off through explicitly proud of his background. Neshek is much less the stereotypical smooth, laid-back Californian than a rugged cowboy as a dry Texas toast. Um... Oh, I think that's a, there's a shot at my personality right there. Not very smooth. <laughs> These are <just> rigid and dry. <laughs> it was about right. Well, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, something you said here, uh, there are exceptions to the rules for everything. You say everyone I meet always asks me uh, where I'm from, Texas, Colorado. No one thinks I'm a Californian. Um, We've been a lot through NAP, says Haber, as a native Round Rock who hails from Liberty Hill. Matt came to Texas in the summer. Uh, we entered the academy, a friend of my father's ranch, yada, yada, yada. We kind of talked about that already. Um, but it's a long way from the San Fernando Valley of the Stars and a world away from the Malibu coastline and the Pacific Coast Highway. Yet, just as naturally, Meshack fit right in. Um, we shared plenty of stories, laughs, fired some guns. And then this article says, well, hunting deer during the summer. You know, we were, no, we hunted raccoons. <laughs> yeah, that's what we uh, But, uh, yeah. And then we went to Annapolis. Keep that story going. Yep. So we go to Annapolis. 
And so you want me to tie my, my price of admission in right now. Then You I, can you know, tie it in wherever you feel it. like it makes sense. All right, let me go through the story because I'm real simple-minded here, and then I'll, I'll come back to it. Yep. So I left off, you know, wanted – I was a ring ground select. Uh, the football season ended. We we beat Mizzou. Big moment for all the brothers. Um, yep. So I start training to go into the Marine Corps, meaning losing – Wait so I can run well is the bottom line for that. Um, and my, I had during the time playing football, I had, I think it was three knee, knee surgeries and my knee was like, I was not in a good place, man. Uh, getting shots before games and stuff. It was, it was rough. So I'm training to lose this weight and it just running on it. It was just like on fire. And I was like, there's no way. I can sustain this thing, yeah. my knee, through a Marine Corps career, because that's what I want to do. I want to do a career. So I sat down, it was like two months before we graduated, I sat down with the orthopedic surgeons that had done my surgeries and my last cleanup surgery. And he's like, Matt, there's no way you can do a career in the Marine Corps. Like, your knee is just shot. Like, if you want to do a career, you need to do something else. Uh, give me... I'll give you some time to think about it, but if you want to do it, we got to do it now and it's got to happen. And it's the difference between doing a career or just doing five years and getting out and scratching the itch. So I thought about it and I made that decision. You know, I think what else am I going to do with my life? Like where, where else would I be respected other than in a military uniform or something that I know now and I believe in and want to do. So I, I let that happen and I ended up in the Navy supply Corps. Um, and that was rough initially, uh, yeah. you know, just cause that was my whole plan. And then I had to use switch from using my brain, man, or to using my brain, than not just being a brute meathead knuckle dragger, like playing football. <laughs> like I thought I could just make it through for 20 years. Then from yeah. there, I went to supply growth school. Go ahead. Can I cut you off? I'm going to go yeah. back to that article because you're describing, um, things with some details behind it that need to be said. Um, you know, Coach Pearson, he was a D-line coach, right, uh, before he became the defensive coordinator. And, and Pearson coached a lot of good men. Um, but he said nothing, no one was tougher than Neshack. And then you said, um, there's too much thinking at linebacker. <laughs> like, give Do me you see a trend? Do you yeah. see a trend here? <laughs> <laughs> and then it breaks down in, into, you know, what you just talked about was, Nishak was performing in constant pain. In mid-October against Pittsburgh, he suffered a torn meniscus in his left knee. It was due to a surgical repair in the offseason. The sixth game of that stretch was November 15th versus Notre Dame and Baltimore. The Fighting Irish were driving into Navy territory when Nishak tried to make a play. He takes it from there. You say, all I remember is something hitting me in the side of my knee. Um, you recall, it's like a flash. I saw it in my brain. I heard a click. I knew exactly what happened. I was full of adrenaline. I went back in and it got worse and worse. The ligament was hanging by a thread. Rather than undergo immediate season, season ending surgery, Nishak wanted to keep fighting, to keep playing, the next week, 
uh, was out of question. Unable to play, you still attended the game in Northern Illinois on crutches from the sideline uh, and watched the mid shut out the Huskies. Um, you know, that's just a, a testament to the to your mindset, right? I mean, that, that that's Navy football. Um, yeah, yeah. And then well, you I came, think it's a go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So that 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 person that hit me was actually Clint Sylvia on the tape. That that bastard. I tell him that all the time. <laughs> I just <laughs> talked to him me. like an hour ago. So no, nah, but it, I mean, I guess it changed the course of my life for the good. It's, you know, I'm happy where I'm at now, but. So, I mean, yeah, we're talking about all this stuff and the price of admission. So let, let's just get into that real quick. Go. So I, it is the, I think it's the, I have to agree with Marshall the most, like the other ones I heard Austin and Jeff talking about all this return and investment, like he, he ignored that. Like if we're looking at this, the price of admission, that's just the cost to be in the room, right? Like your 100% effort to be called a Navy football player. And the concept of any return value, negative or positive, in the future, just, I didn't think it existed for any of us at that time. Like, we were just in the moment. And there was nothing else you would do but give 100% and be there and do everything you could. Like, it tested your belief of the process and it tested your toughness. Like yeah. everybody's 100%. And if you still had the ability to go, to show back up and not know that it's going to screw you in the future, because um, it, it does, but you're not going to feel that that's, it's just you, you have to show up and give your 100% because that's what it takes to be a Navy football player. And that's what you got to do for your brothers. Because look, not only is the military an all-volunteer force, like people say, hey, it was free. You earned a Navy a scholarship to play uh, Navy football. It's like, well, there was nothing lost if we didn't play. Like we were a volunteer force, right? Like there's, they could have, I could have just walked away and still went to school at Navy, no cost. But we thought about it in the moment, what we had to do, no matter what it took to be there and give your 100%. So, uh, and that's a long, that's a long definition, man. So to back up, I'll just pass it to you for a second. Go ahead. <laughs> it's a crazy definition. Everyone yeah. feels it. It's hard to define, you know, put the words to it. It's tough. Um, yeah. I drove for two hours, I told you, and then an hour and a half on the way back in the car trying to think about it like a psychopath, not listening to any music. And I still couldn't come up with anything, and I still didn't have it there. But if I can highlight it, it's your 100% effort knowing you're not going to get anything in return. True. Because you can't, you can't fathom anything that you would get back in the future. You're just in the moment, you know? It's like, well, I lost my ACL. Let's tape it up and get back in there until I can't bend my leg. Like, let's do this. And that's it. Yeah. Um, back to the article. You say, and, and this is back in 2009, right? 
people ask what it's like to play college football. The best way for me to describe it is to say it's just a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. So sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm remember I vividly remember after one of those surgeries, I'm like 21, 22. I'm like 265 on jacks. And I'm on crutches and I can't use my leg. And that's the cost. Like you're in the best physical condition everywhere else, but your knee is gone. And it's gone for like the rest of my life. Like it's never gonna be the same. That's but that's that's the, that's the negative. But then the positive, you know, you get those wins, but you don't really understand it because if you were to explain this to somebody on the outside on paper, like, hey, you get all this stuff out of it, but the return is messed up body for the rest of your life and you get to beat some cool squads with your boys, what are you going to do? They'd be like, oh, don't do that. But you just, that's not an answer that even crosses your mind to not pursue it with your boys, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm really lucky. I had a, a torn MCL at one point, had a concussion at one point, but I, I didn't have anything like that just crushed my ability or took me out um, during the season. Um, so for that, I'm thankful. I think overall that whole like we're smaller than everybody else and we got to bring it every day a little bit harder um, put us in situations like like where, you know, you got put and um, where those those injuries were just a little bit more, um, not maybe overbearing, because um, injuries occur in sports no matter where. But um, when you're the small guy trying to, you know, conquer your your Goliath, you know, things happen and. And you went through that, you know, something that uh, <clears throat> Dr. Jeff Fair said about yeah. Shaq is if all football players rehabbed like him, I would have a very easy job, says Doc Fair. Uh, if anything, we had to make sure he didn't do too much. He worked hard when he got here and just continued to battle, said Nehemiah. He's relentless, says Doc Fair. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's a crazy comeback story. Like with those types of injuries, um, and the expectations of getting back in the fight is, uh, I would say a little more accelerated with what we do because, um, I don't know, man, it was just, uh, yeah, well, I think it's. That's the price. I mean, it's everything you have right then to be a part of the group. And that's, that's the, where the simplest way. Yeah, and that's where the the intro Cameron story is like you pay it now, right? Yeah, I one hundred percent agree with Cameron. The and I think part of a, it. <laughs> a lot of I've always thought toughness is that, but I always thought toughness was there's so many things out of our control when we're playing football, especially at the Academy. So yeah. one thing I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to control my effort and everything. Yes. So if I can go, unless they're pulling me off the field, I'm going to, I'm going to go. And that's it. And the hardest thing 
is not that. The hardest thing is when you lose and to show back up the next day and just learn from your mistakes, pretend like nothing happened, show up with a smile <laughs> on your face and just keep grinding. But that's what it taught us. Like I yeah. say it tests the process and your toughness. And that's, that's exactly what it does. It's like, do I, do I really just show up the next day? Like nothing happened. Like we didn't just get blown out by, we didn't just get beat by Hawaii. Yeah. You know, but you have to show up because it just would make it so much worse, but it's so hard in the moment. That's the tough part. Like getting over those losses. It is the the toughest thing ever getting over a loss. Yeah. I mean, and that's what makes you tough. Like I I think that's the, the real definition. Like, when you don't know if it's going to get better, but you show up and you're like, you know what, fuck it. All I can control is giving it everything. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, To compliment that, I'm going back to the article. um, Something that uh, I appreciated Pearson uh, for his like recognition of this type of thing. But, um, you know, straight from the article, they also happen to play with a streak of nastiness driven by their own selflessness. Uh, he's talking about you and Mike Walsh getting over injuries. Uh, generally, generally, linemen get to grind it out up front while the linebackers, like me, <laughs> get the tackles and the defensive backs get the interceptions. Uh, you say, it starts up front. If we do our job, the linebackers can feed off of us. If we can pressure the quarterback, the defensive backs get the picks. Uh, one of my themes is, you know, with with this talk is uh, being the pressure. That's being the pressure. Not, ex- you know, expecting any kind of, you know, recognition, doing your job, focused on that, uh, conquering the objective, conquering the mission. Um, you say, that's what I love about this team. No one cares who gets the credit. As long as we accomplish the goals as a defense, everyone's humble. We want to make plays for the team's sake. And that's what uh, what Pearson was going for there, too. And, and I, I mean, he was a good co- – I mean, I wasn't coached under him, but I feel like Pearson was a good, good coach there from a surreal standpoint. Yeah, he was – he was one of the best, in my opinion. I mean, he was—he had you in a room and in a in a space, maybe football, especially when we first got there. Like how demeaning it was towards each player. Like just attacked ferociously on like an individual level. Like you just you just crushed some kid's soul, Paul Johnson. Hey, Coach Munkin, you'd like you just ripped this guy's heart out. <laughs> like, but Dale—he was. He would uh, tough and fair, tough and fair. It, it was a team aspect. Like he never, he would, if he was pointing and calling you out on tape or saying like, Hey, this is the play that, that we would have won the game. If you made, it was just, we, it was always, we, and that always stuck with me, like stuck with me. It's just that it was a team thing, man. Like it didn't matter if you were starting, it was, we like third, third string just as accountable as the first string so really have a lot of respect for that guy yeah um a little bit further down um a lot of people think i'm stoic nishak says what do you mean by that 
Um, so, I mean, when you first meet me in like a professional setting or just, well, now, especially in a professional setting, or if you're not like, if we're not friends for a while, you're not going to see what an emotional disaster I am, to be honest. Like, I look like a stone-faced, like, killer, but I'm the sweetest person with my daughters. Curtis Bass was like, dude, even if you went Marine Corps, like, if you lost one person, you'd lose your mind, just like me. And I, he was right, like, um, just a lot of emotions that I have that I don't show unless you're in that squad, you know? So I think that's what I meant by that. Gotcha. So <clears throat> I'm going to finish this article out and we'll, we'll keep on going with your story. But the rest of the article, a couple more paragraphs, it says, uh, and this is by Nehemiah, and I really appreciate these couple of uh, sentences uh, because it's kind of like where we're going with this, uh, with this podcast, I think, is Nehemiah says, I leave the floor open to those guys. They listen more to each other than they do to us. In Colorado Springs, they listen to Nishat. Uh, Tony says, he gave a pretty emotional speech. Um, and I stopped short of divulging the message, uh, except to say that it was meaningful. I wouldn't say Matt's too open with his emotions. He doesn't show that side of his self so much. But when he does, it's powerful. You say... I get emotional about things I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about football and this team. It shows. Uh, just being part of this team, being part of Navy football, is the proudest moments of my life. Uh, the great thing is, I know I'm going to be in contact with these guys for the rest of my life. Another uh, one of Nishak's passions is Hawaiian spearfishing. And the rest is uh, about Hawaiian fishing, but or spearfishing, but... Yeah, I, I I like that Nehemiah acknowledged that, um, hey, I leave this floor open to the guys. Uh, they listen to each other more than they do to us. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I've forgotten that that happened. Um, that was... We were there 2008 at Air Force. And I remember warming up, fucking everybody's like, feels like you got a bag over your head, you know? Yep. And I started growing up like, yeah, like, do I have... Do <laughs> that I have mile high versus uh, yeah. sea level is totally You walk changed. in, it says, like, lack of oxygen and... Mess with your head Air Force a bit. was real good that year. I mean, every year we played them, we played them for four years, obviously, in a row, but we beat them four years in a row. But those games, we beat them by a combined score of like 10 points over those four years. So that game was like, yeah. that was the game for us. Air Force was so, better than Army every single year for us. Like the, dude, the Air Force was game, the game was the Army game for the Commander in Chiefs. Yeah, that they was were, it. They were better, they were cockier, and there was that like extra motivation to just, you know, push the the spear in the ribs, right? So Yeah. Um but I think he's right, like players do tend to listen to each other more, but True. why I just we were warming up and it was kinda dead. 
You know, like sometimes in practice, you start a fight just to get the emotions riled up. And it felt like dead and like felt like we we're going out there more of like in mourning yeah. versus hey, going Clint, to attack. Just had a conversation with Clint. He'll appreciate that comment. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I felt that and I, I think so other people did. And I was like, I got to, we got to get a fucking spark or we're going to lose this game. So um, I gave a speech that was just raw. Like, I don't know. I just told everybody. I'd recently lost my grandfather and he was, like I said, my best friend at the time. And I just divulged how and how much it meant to me and why I stayed at Navy football. And it was because of the dudes in the room yeah. and being, being that strong, there's no one that could beat us. So yeah, that was, that was an emotional time. But uh, I think that's what we had to do for before that game, and it worked. I mean, if I could only be in the mind, I mean, between Blake, Carter, and Matt Harmon, Matt Harmon nailing, like, a bunch of field goals, and then Blake being in on a block and returning a block, if I was, could only be in Blake's mind, man. I saw a photo of him before that game, and just it gets me so emotional, like, yeah. just seeing him. For sure. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to process that. So. Gotcha. Well, let's, uh, we spent a lot of time on Navy football here in this, uh, this timeline, which was, I think, uh, worth it. But where are you at today? What are you doing now? So I'll just pick up from supply course school after graduation. Then I went uh, to aircraft carrier, went to the Stennis. Um, do my thing on there. You know, went to a short command, the logistics center in Ventura, California. Met my wife. And from there, I went to she's, LSD. Hey, wait, dude. She's she's an army one. She's not a navy. Yeah. Girl. Well, dude, right. she's a badass woman, and you gotta have badass Americans on your team. So, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, and she is yeah. badass. Yeah, and she knows I'm so emotional and passionate about navy football. Like, she don't poke me in the ribs, man. Like the first time Army beat Navy in a long time, she just walked in the room. We were looking at each other, and we just started laughing because she's like, "What can I say? You're already upset, you know." It's kind of like that uh, USC versus uh, yeah, Texas. It was, it was, it's like yeah, no no words needed. Go to sleep. No words. We'll needed, wake up dude, tomorrow, and then we'll, we'll fight again. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so then I went to LSD, and I was uh, with like the boxer arg on the LSD. We had mostly the logistics guys, but um, that was the head supply officer on that ship. That was a good tour. And then after that, went up to Monterey, California. Like, Navy paid for me to get a master's, which blows my mind. Dude, that's that, awesome. I can't, yeah. I've struggled academically since the day I stepped foot at the prep school to get a Naval Academy degree and then a master's degree. It was amazing. You know, that's funny from there? and because I, you know, in the first episode of this thing, Cam Marshall, he's like 1.7 high school GPA, Marine Corps gave me a master's, leading at super high levels as you are. Um, you know, the whole GPA thing is, it's fun. It's funny. Um, yeah. I'm, but like life experience really makes the leader happen. Yeah, I mean. 
I had a three five in high school, and my SAT was just trash. And it was just Nehemiah and everybody, my dad, Nehemiah, everybody. They're like, "Is this indicative that you work hard?" And I guess I mean you're not that good at school. It is the bottom line, but like you can work hard through it, and that's just what I've had to do. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So then from there I went. Uh, now I'm in Richmond, Cal or Richmond, Virginia. Um, we left California and on that DLA aviation and loving life. And then it's looking at my next tour already and see where that goes. Gotcha. Yep. So <clears throat> Cameron said you moved like lightning. Are you still moving like lightning right now? Or when did he say that? Was that? That was, was in the it, first, it, first episode. Right. So for me, oh, I reflect yeah. on the conversations and I try to pull stuff out that, I want to bring back and he said Matthew Nishak moves like lightning. Are you still moving like lightning today? Man, dude, so that cost of being in that room weighed heavy on my body. Um <laughs> <laughs> so without a cortisone injection in my shoulder, I can't like lift it above my my elbow above my neck like 90 degrees it's just done right there so you and could, I always thought my knee would be the bad one but just my shoulder snuck up on me I don't know what, where I hurt that or when and I know it was playing football you know, there's documented stuff but I just never looked at it as being like the crippling thing I have and that's what I got so basically so you, go ahead no no go ahead basically what basically I need knee replacement and a shoulder replacement mm. and I have to wait as long as I can but I need one now on my shoulders, what it feels like. So you don't but think But I do... Go ahead. I do exercise still within the parameters to stay fit, you know. But yeah, no, not look, nearly what I wanted to do. You look in uh, a lot better shape than I do, definitely. After uh, seeing you at that Memphis game. So you're doing good things. Uh, you, so you don't think you could box Cameron and Nate Frazier again in the <laughs> ring? Well, I don't think I could ever... Have boxed Cameron before. Well, like, you did. Well, yeah. I mean, I couldn't give him a good fight. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that that was a. I got my ass kicked in every single aspect at the academy, academically, <laughs> on the football field, uh, in the football play. Like, and when we're watching film, like everything was overwhelming. And we go. To, they make you box freshman year. And I get marked, like, we do two days. First day, I get matched up with Cameron, and they do, like, 20 minutes of instructions. They're like, okay, you can spar now. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just put my big lumbering arm through Cameron's nose into the back of his skull and just land these haymakers on his nose. And, dude, coming straight out of Iraq and whatever he did to be such a badass, like, he was slipping punches. He looked like a boxer, man. Yeah. And it's one of those fights you get in and, you Dude, you're and you're I remember watching that fight. I, because <laughs> me and Ross fought after that, but like everyone was watching that fight. It was a three way with the, like the three like biggest most aggressive guys. It was you, oh. Cam, and Big Nate Frazier, our you know our nose guy, that was a, well, yeah. It was hitter. me and Cam. It was me and Cam the first day. Then the second day was the three way, nice fight. But that first day, Cam. So I'm like trying to do all these moves, and all this stuff goes out the window. And he just, my face is just like completely splattered and bloody. He's my ass. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely got his tactics down a little bit 
Oh yeah, more like, more developed, right? He's hard to kill, and he was hard to kill back then. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing old nineteen year old me could do. Throwing those haymakers, man, I wasn't gonna work on it. Yeah, he just so, bloodied so, me up fast. So you were trying to work on the the haymakers from uh, from the Pittsburgh streets of uh, you know after Army Navy freshman year. Um, uh, or was oh, that man. or was that Jordan Stevens? Uh, well, that was Philly. So. Philly, sorry. Yeah, that was. I don't know how that went down. I think you were involved. You probably. Yeah, I started culprit. It. Yeah, so basically, the last street fight I've ever been in in my grown adult life was in Philadelphia, thanks to Tony Haber. And then you got and the it was ring. More, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but bottom line, Cameron with my ass that day, and I looked over and Paul Johnson with my bloody face. He looked like the Grinch just stole Christmas. He was so happy seeing that. And then the next day when I had to fight Nate, and I was straight out of plebe summer, Nate was still, like, enormous. And it was, I think it was David Brown, some other big guy. Dude. And yeah. I just survived. I think David was knocked out by Nate, so it was easy to chase him around and beat him up. But <laughs> I had to fight Nate. And it was David Brown. I did right. good, yeah, yeah, I did a good job surviving compared to other people getting knocked out by Nate, like, the day before. Um, there was a moment where like he hit me and I went down or got up again. And I was like, man, I'm glad this, whatever, this minute is over. Cause this boy is going to get me quickly. Yeah, <laughs> he was crazy. deadly, dude. It's crazy yeah. how boxing works. It's like, it is the ultimate, you know, one-on-one competition, energy, exhaustion, perseverance, journey. Oh um, dude. I mean, especially when you don't know how to do it, like you yeah. just burn all your energy Yep, and you get beat up. So it's like, it's a lose lose suit. And that's what it was for two days in a row. Yeah. And uh yeah, crazy stuff, man. I brought this story up on the, the last podcast with the Clint around the uh LaShawn McCoy. Um I was talking about like the ultimate power uh play for linebackers is is the power. And where you're the first one up into destroying that play is you sacrifice your body and your body placement in order to set the second guy up for success so that that second one uh, makes the tackle, yada, 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 um, which is where LaShawn McCoy, Pittsburgh, thrived at, right? And I, I, I remember getting on LaShawn McCoy at the bottom of the pile, trying to twist his ankle. Um, and when I did that, all of his offensive linemen came at me pretty hard, right? <laughs> and then you and Jordo came right in before we got a technical foul or anything like that. Kind of like our mentality was to destroy the opponent, right? And it was almost like, well, we obviously had our each other's back, but um, there was a "I'm gonna hurt my opponent" type of feel to it. Did you ever feel like that? Yeah, I mean, I always say I would have been the, I would have been like Richie Incognito out there, like the dirtiest player in the world, if I could catch my breath. But <laughs> anything I could do in between plays to catch my breath, I would do. So 
initially in the games, I'm like, we're fighting these guys. Like, I'll, I'll choke. I'll do whatever I can. I'll choke you, whatever. But as the game progressed, it's like, all right, dude, let, let's just get back in my spot, catch my breath, so I got full go this next play. Maybe chew but, off uh, half your uh, mouthpiece. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, when I was like a sophomore, I'd, there's some stories I could tell you where <laughs> I do that kind of stuff. Um, well, I mean, shit, I'll just tell you. So, uh, sophomore year, going back on kickoff return, I'm the back wedge with Ross, and yeah. I link up with him, and someone tries to split us, and we just blast him. Boom. Nice. Straight flat back him. So, I'm all fired up. Plays like dead, but the whistle's not blown. So, I look around. Everyone's chopping the Look feet. for there's another just... one? Yeah, there's someone Go. standing there. <laughs> so, I run at him, and I get under his shoulder pads with my – my hands like on his chest like on a sternum yeah and you know how you can drive it up into their throat yeah i had him like that so i had full control of him and i'm pushing him back and it was like this db and but he's hysterically laughing at me just oh like, no giggling you did the wrong so thing brother so i'm so it just aggravates me more and i keep pushing him back driving him back <laughs> and he's just hysterically laughing and i find the pile he falls over the pile slams down on the other side and I still have him, but he's still laughing at me. And at this point I'm choking him just to try to like show him what's up, you know, but he's still laughing at me and the play's dead. I'm like, all right, I got to stop. Like this isn't really affecting him at all. So I get up and we're looking at each other and he's still laughing at me. And I just pat him on the helmet and I, and I jog to the sideline and he's still laughing hysterically. And I went and I sat down and for like 10 minutes, I didn't move. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, you just got mind fucked, man. You'll never forget that. Like, what yeah. what happened? Like, you were the aggressor. You had all the advantage, but he won. This dude beat me. <laughs> that's a good story, though. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's I actually a good, followed that like, guy's number, like, who he was. And I don't know who he is today, but, like, he got me, man. I had him, but he really got me in the end. Yeah, and, and that's where, like, I mean, you run into that today. Um, you know. You never know, right? You never know where that's going to go. Um, yeah, I'll close it out there. Um, confidence story. Tell me, is there is there something in your recent days where, you know, something's changed your mindset or performance, um, specifically with building confidence or losing confidence? Yeah, so in high school, my first freshman year, a little bit in my sophomore year, we had a there's I had a baseball coach. I played baseball, and uh, one of the best coaches I've had. He's still a family friend of ours, Joe Cascione. And his thing was preparation plus confidence equals success. Like everybody's got their mantra for their team. And that yep. was his. And that's really a simple concept. Like you prepare, that gives you confidence, and then you're successful. And I wish I could say it's like that easy because I think every piece of advice I've gotten, every aspect of life that I've tried to go after, even knowing the answer before, I get beat up first until um, when it's when I actually apply it. I don't apply it properly and it takes a little bit of learning. 
So um, what I'm trying to say is the preparation plus confidence equals success minus complacency because I'm always fighting that complacency that comes with success. And it, it's just like a feedback loop in my whole life. Every time I, I prep enough and I become confident and I'm successful, uh, I got to stay on my game, man, because that that complacency comes in and it, it bites me once in a while. And it's a perpetual True. loop. Like I keep getting better and the, the mistakes keep getting less grave. But once in a while, they're, they're, they're on like a big scale, like a big audience. But um, it's something I, I always struggle with um, to, to make sure complacency is not setting in when I'm successful. And that even when I'm prepared, I'm confident because yeah. I know that can happen and that I've struggled with that my whole life. So I think we all do, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're brought up to be uh, alphas, you know, the best, you know, and hey, you didn't do very well today. Um, you didn't win. You didn't whatever that makes you like so determined to get to that next level. Um, it's not about ego. It's about capacity. Uh, and you got to eliminate your limitations, right? Internally, you got to figure out a way to not flip that script on yourself and, and you know, like where, hey, you did really good, Matt. Um, and, and Matt's going to say, well, I did okay. It wasn't that good. Yeah, it's no. hard, man. No, it was good, Matt. Like, take take credit for it. Like, run with it. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Limit, I mean, if you don't, don't limit yourself. Yeah, it's it's a fine balance, right? Like, you limit yourself, you lose some confidence, but you take it. You can become complacent, and it's just it's just yeah. a constant struggle to to maintain that balance and. But and internally, you know that you're not going to get complacent, uh, but you got to give yourself credit for what you're doing. Um. You know, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like, I still, I told you about, I there was a recent public speaking thing, it was low threat, but big enough to be a big deal, and I didn't do great, kind of blacked out, so, and uh, got a mentor to help me after that, but it, I went into that, I, I knew all the details, man, but I didn't have the preparation of that backup plan, you know, True. so it, it's just there, like, you you have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's to get that be for that full preparation to get that confidence to yes. be successful. And then if you go in with a little bit of complacency, it'll get you there. No doubt. I agree with you. You know, don't get complacent, uh, do your prep work, but also remember that you're a winner. Like remember of all the good things that, and don't let like one, you know, jab in the in the ribs take you down right yeah yeah i mean that's the key it was, this was good timing this podcast like i remember you talking about it and i was like i wasn't excited about it at all initially to be honest i was like <laughs> man like all i think about in sports are all the like the missed tackles and the losses like i have a hard time thinking about the good stuff and then I, yeah. my body's like deteriorating. I'm like, why did I even do it? Then I heard Cam talk about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. I know, I know why now. So yeah, it's 
you got to take time to to remember those things because yeah, it'll eat you. It'll beat you down and eat you alive if you don't. No doubt. Take time to do that reflection. Uh, the reflection I think is most important. Uh, what went well? What didn't didn't go so well? How am I going to get better? Uh, what did I learn? Um, hey, I failed at this, and I'm okay with telling people I failed at this um, because that's going to help. You know. Yeah, be, I mean, be doing transparent about stuff, right? Yeah, little pieces, man. That that's the biggest thing for me. At the end of the day, you just gotta what I do well, what I gotta improve on, and why am I doing this all? Like, what's my grounding force? And that's my family, man, for me. So, if you think of the good stuff too. At the end of the day, that helps. No doubt. And what Austin was saying, man, working, what you hang your hat on. Yeah. Like what makes you know that's best of career advice I got was work backwards for where you want to be. But that's such a thing and you can, such a good thing to apply to your life. Like what is the most important thing? Like before you die, like is so, it, what, you gave it all to your family, you know, what is yours? You got it. your most important thing. Yeah. It's my family, man. That's, that's it. Family. That's, what is, yeah. what's your family look like? So I got my wife and my two daughters and one's, almost four the other one just turned one and like as you approach so i approach daily life like what's my motivation it's easy if i'm sluggish that day to to think about like hey i'm not motivated i'm not passionate today about what i'm normally passionate about for work but in the end what am i doing this for and yep. it's easy to get that motivation back thinking hey, i'm doing this for my family you know what are your daughter's names I got Miss Lyndon May, Lyndon May Nishak, and then uh, Olivia. Her middle name's Ryan. That's my young one. My older one's just... So this is how I just describe them. My younger one, she's just like me. So uh, probably put her in swimming and keep her away from alcohol, and she'll be good to go her whole <laughs> life. <laughs> my older one... She's just like my wife, so it's, it's complicated, and that's all I can say. Like I, I don't, I can't really. <laughs> and you're crack down that there. Nut. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna go for another one. Yeah, I mean that's that's the ultimate plan. It's three, um, three will be the goal. So, I, I mean, we'll see after that, but. We'll see. If yeah, three's in the plan. Get another uh, Nishak boy or another Nishak girl. Yeah, well, two. Once you have two of the same gender, they say you're like ninety six percent chance of having a third of the same gender. So, All right, so you're motivated. Yeah, I mean, I've I, I think I've known. I told you I've known my whole life. I'm having all girls for whatever reason. So, <laughs> hey, this is what it is. Some guys, ha I mean, have that happen to them, um, which will extremely uh, humble you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, um, if you could go back and tell yourself, your younger self, to do anything different, what would you do? Would you say anything? Or, uh, Well, I think the simplest thing for me, just cut out the alcohol, man. <laughs> That's, to yeah. be honest, that would, that would be uh, something that helps. I don't really do that much anymore. And because I'm trying to be the best I can for my family, you know, and to be your best, you got to be good in every single aspect. And that just 
that just pulls you down. So that would be the advice I'd give my young self. Gotcha. Last question. You lost your dad. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that go? What happened there? Uh, well, so he was 60 and he just, he had been having some weird symptoms. Nothing like you think is crazy out of the ordinary, but I knew he wasn't doing like health wasn't great, but I, I didn't think it was deadly what, what he was suffering. So he had been going in the, to the doctor a little bit and thought he had it figured out. And then uh, one day, th- I was living in Ventura at the time, and I just met, well, I was engaged to my wife. And uh, he called, like, he's like, hey, hey, we're meeting Tuesday at my house. I'm having dinner, and you, you all need to come talking to me my, and my brothers because we're all in the area at the time. Like, you got no choice. You're coming to this. Like, just show up. It's like okay, no, no big deal. Like he's he's talked like that before. Like just show up. So okay, so we eat dinner and then we sit down and he's like he tells us that he had uh, pancreatic cancer and we started walking through what that meant and it was basically like the it's the fastest way to die and pretty much it's pretty painful i think he basically just rocked from the inside out like um so we knew we were gonna, we were gonna lose him and um 10 months later we lost him but like it all happened so fast that he was worried about like assigning people he had his his estate affair like as if those affairs handled but as far as like who's gonna deal with burial services and dealing with my bills. Like once he got that out of the way, like that was, that was it. Um, it was rough, man. Oh, getting emotional, but yeah, it happened quickly. Um, he, I didn't, I couldn't process those emotions that fast, to be honest. It was, it, it happened so fast and he was real calm about it. Yeah. Um, he just kind of matter of fact, and I do, I do regret like my, I know one of my brothers had it with him, but like when he was completely lucid, had like that knockdown drag out talk of a lifetime, like settling everything. Um, I just couldn't get myself to go there and he respected that boundary. Like we didn't speak about it, but if you ever, if you ever faced with that, anyone listening, I mean, just, do yourself a favor and get that, that those hard conversations done because it'll, it'll haunt you a little bit. But like I said, I couldn't process it really. And, uh, my wife was instrumental, like in getting us, my, my brothers, people involved, my stepdad helped a lot too. And my mom, um, which was awesome. Uh, but she was really instrumental in, the whole process and telling us like, Hey, like you need to say goodbye to him. Not just for you, for him. Like when he was going down hard is that he can let go. And I remember she told me that like, 
She's like, you got to let it, you got to tell him. You got to tell him bye. Yep. Man. It just hit me. It was rough, dude. Like, just knew it was gone. A couple of days later, I told my brothers to do the same thing. He was out. Yeah. I lost my dad, but, too. Yeah. I mean, similar, I hope you had that conversation. Similar situation. I didn't. I was able to have that conversation. I didn't. I, I think he heard it. Um. Pretty sure he heard it. Yeah, as I'm me. sure, yeah, you felt the same way. But it was, it was, uh, yeah. Go ahead with yours. I mean, I mean, there's it, uh, not a whole lot to tell, other than uh, I was at the basic school when I got the call from my mom. I was like, hey, your dad doesn't have a few, you know, you need to come home. Uh, and I came home, and he was in the, uh, the ICU and moved to hospice and um, <clears throat> so my dad was an alcoholic all the guys know it um, and and that's kind of how I'm I'm loving Cameron's initial um, not you guys not you guys with my kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. And, and he even, you know, he told us and he's like, Hey, um, and he went to rehab and, um, he pretty much told us, you know, sorry guys, just love me, love me through this finish line. Cause he knew. And uh, my my life's mission is to not let that happen to my kids, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned. So, um, totally different stories. We lost both of our our dads, but yours was not controllable, while mine was. So I'll always have like an, a chip on my shoulder for my dad. <laughs> For that reason, but at the same time, I can understand it. And uh, yeah, there there are certainly up. things he could have he could have done differently on my my side, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, during the, I'll just share with you what I'm thinking right now. During the process, I he was just like he was stoic, man. They use that word to bring that full circle. Yeah. He was just matter of fact, like this is what's happening and he just showed up every day like and and just just lived through it didn't didn't let it affect anything for those last 10 months and then um i had speaking about losing people so when last well it was last year we had the 11 the 10 plus one reunion yep. and Blake's dad came up to Annapolis, Blake Carter's dad. And, uh, awesome. yeah. And 
I didn't go up that weekend. I was in Richmond. I just moved. And all I wanted to do was just hang out with Craig, just meet him. So I call him, call him. We work something out. So I drive up 100% worth of my time. Um, I drive up on like Sunday morning and I, I meet him at like IHOP at like 5.30 before he flies out that morning on a Sunday. Nice. And we just talked for an hour, man. It was amazing. And it was it was as if for like for like an hour it was like Blake had never left and I just hope like he got a piece of Blake through us like just me being there yeah and and the him him just showing up every day and not knowing it's gonna get better after what he went through and seeing my dad go through that shit and my family. I watched my mom do the same thing. I seen my brother do that just with work, like get home at 11, have a couple beers just to calm down, then wakes up, wakes up at two and drives and goes to work. He used to do that. Mm. And just seeing people give their 100%, man, when they, they either know or they don't know it's going to get better. That's that's the real price of admission. That's what it is. That's what it is to me. Yeah. It doesn't get it doesn't get better than that. Like that's fucking toughness right there. Yep. So that's the price, man. I. <laughs> To, to follow up there, uh, I remember your visit with uh, Mr. Carter. Uh, that day he saw you, he actually texted me a picture of you and him together. So, um, closing the circle. Yeah. Good times. That's well, what it taught us, man. Be tough like that. Just show up no matter what. No matter what. Don't give up. Give it your all. Um, awesome. Another good episode. Uh, another good reason to continue this for me. Um, thank you for, for sharing all you did today. I know it's, it's hard. I know it's, uh, well, it's definitely enlightening. Uh, and that's why I want to keep on doing this. Uh, but it's hard to share those types of things. Um, <clears throat> It's easy to, to button them up and never say it again, but dude, we opened up a can of worms today and I appreciate you uh, being willing to open up that can. So, Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's good. I think it helps everybody. And hearing people's stories is amazing. Connects us up. I'm ready to hear more of these stories. Can't wait for some people. For sure. I got, I got to do a shout out. You got to get Jervia Loda on here, man. Who? That guy's a like Jervia Loda. Yeah. He's a Navy football player. He's like captain late nineties. He's nice. electric. Like, like Brian Stan was described by Cameron Marshall. He's electric like that. Who's Brian well. Stan? Brian Stan was Cam Marshall's reference, uh, to a platoon commander. And I, he was Iraq. 
just an electric leader, but everybody yeah. knows him as a uh, UFC fighter. Got some crazy battles under his belt, but for sure. tired now, but yeah. Yeah, but we'll get them. That's my call out. I'd like um, to see old Jeremy. We'll do. Uh, we'll connect with him soon. Uh, we got Irv, Irv Spencer coming up. We got Ross Pospisil coming up. I got uh, Clint Bruce committed. Um, so he'll be coming up soon. The uh, the originator of Price of Admission. We got uh, Bryce McDonald. We got Pick Anthony Piccioni. Um, so keep them coming. Yeah, it's exciting, man. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, dude. Awesome story. Appreciate it. Um, dude, um, really appreciate your story today. And uh, yeah. we'll keep grinding. Stay yeah. motivated. And uh, Don't keep complacent today. now. That's it. No doubt. <laughs> Take care, brother. All right. All right, brother. See ya. All right.